I just pray that uh, tonight you will get ready. Anytime that the missions guy comes, uh, we expect to hear a couple of things. We expect to hear something about the lostness that pervades our world. And that is, when I say lostness, that means an individual that is separated from God because they don't have a relationship with his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And that is true. Statistics tell us that there are only about 2.5 billion believers, and some of those believers have a very shallow faith out of the 8 billion people that live in this world. So you're expecting to hear about lost people. You're expecting to hear about what we call unreached, unengaged people groups around the world. Of the 6 billion or 5.5 billion people that don't know Christ, almost 3 billion of them have never even heard the name of Jesus. You would expect to hear something from the fact that at some point in your life, you're going to have to walk through and you're going to need to navigate what it means for you to live your life on mission for Christ. And all of that is well and good, students, and I love it. And I can speak for hours. And if you want to talk to me about what it means for you to engage in mission, let's talk later. But I want to want to talk to you tonight about your heart. Because who you are and what you do with your life begins in your heart. You need to realize and recognize that there is a battle that is raging and that battle is raging over the territory of your heart. And as we navigate this scripture tonight, I hope that we can help you begin to answer the question, what's your why? What's your why? Now, this is interesting. I was listening to a podcast. That's what old people do. We find a, just a thing that we do, and we listen to podcasts who tell us things that we already know, but they say it in a different way, and it makes a difference in our lives. But this, this guy was talking about the importance of a why. He says at some point in your life, your willpower needs to be transformed into why power. Willpower is that gut-wrenching effort that we put into doing those things that we like to do. I see some guys out here. Do any of you guys like to work out? Yeah. What, is the, what is your why for working out, guys? What's your why? Beach week is what I heard. Beach week is your why. All right? I'm going to be honest with you, that's really not that strong of a why. You probably work out for two weeks and say, I'll just, I got plenty of time. July's coming. June's coming. So we, we have this willpower where God, or, or we have this desire to see this end come to fruition. And sometimes our willpower is only as strong as our why power. What is the why? What is the reason that you want to do what you want to do. And if you have a weak why, you will give up and you will quit. Think about your new, new Year's resolutions. Statistics tell us that most New Year's resolutions last till about January 18th or 19th. And the reason is, is the willpower was not strong because the why power was not strong. So what's your why? And specifically in the battle for your heart, I want us to think about what's your why for doing what you're doing right now. Why do you come to church? Why do you stand up and sing and worship? Why do you spend the time that you do in God's word? Why do you try to live 
the life that God has called you to live. Because I believe wholeheartedly that many of you have the willpower to do the things that God wants you to do, but your why is all jacked up. Your why is messed up because you're doing it because you're trying to earn God's love. You're trying to impress God. You're trying to get him to the place where he is pleased with you. And let me just tell you, in and of itself, that why is not good enough. Many of you, your why power is messed up. And so what I hope to do tonight is to help you understand that we got to change the position of our why. And the position of our why comes when we begin to look at the person and the character of God. People who do great things for God, listen to me. People who do great things for God have a more clearer view of who God is than anybody else in the world. A.W. Tozer said it this way, the most important thing about you is what you think about God. The truth of the matter is some of you in this room tonight have a very low view of God. You believe in a God that you have to please by your good works. You believe in a God that you think is impressed by you coming to church, by you doing all the right things. And that's just not true. Does he want you to do those things? Absolutely. But he doesn't need you to do those things. And what I want us to do tonight is to begin to understand we need to see God for who he is. And God is a God who wants to be seen. God does not want to hide himself from you, and he does not hide himself from you. He wants to be seen. He wants to be found. He wants you to seek after him. So sometimes we think of God as this guy, that's, this, guy this person that's up in heaven, and, and we have to kind of work the magic wand and figure out exactly what he wants for us. He has revealed himself to us. And tonight, as we walk through the life of Moses, we see a man who did great things for God. And that God revealed himself in multiple ways. And the more that God revealed himself to Moses, the more he engaged in the mission that God had called him to do. It starts in Exodus chapter 3. What happens in Exodus chapter 3? The burning what? The burning bush. But the bush didn't do what? It didn't burn up. So Moses is just doing his thing. He's on the other side of the mountain. He's hanging out with his father-in-law's sheep. And he is there shepherding. And he's going down the way. And then all of a sudden there's this bright light in the middle of the night. And what he sees is he sees a bush that's on fire. But that, that fire is not being consumed. He steps a little bit closer. He says, i got to look at what this is. What is this? And then all of a sudden a voice comes out of this bush. So not only do we see the bush that is burning, but it's not really burning up, and then we hear a stinking voice coming out of that bush, and it's God, and it's saying, take off your shoes, because where you're standing is what? Holy ground. Y'all are smart. Y'all know the Bible. This is good. It was holy ground. And in the midst of that, God says, I've called you, and I've set you apart. God revealed himself to Moses. He says, I've called you a specific purpose. I want you to lead my people, the children of Israel who are in slavery. I want you to lead them into the promised land. Lead them out of their bondage and into the, to the promised land. What's Moses say? It's not me, God. You've got to find somebody else because I can't, do, I can't talk right. 
I can't do what you want me to do. I don't have a good voice. When I get in front of people, I start to stutter, and I just can't do what I want to do because that's not what you want me to do. And then, Moses, and then God says, I'm going to give you what you need. He says, take that staff in your hand, put it on the ground. What's that happen? It turns into a stake. That's not enough to convince Moses that God is with him. He says, put your hand in your cloak and see what happens. It comes out as leprous. It looks like this disease. It's all nasty. He puts it back in. It comes back to normal. Still, that's not enough. He's arguing with God. God is revealing his power to him, but he's arguing with God. Then he continues to reveal himself further. He brings along Aaron to help him. Then he goes into Egypt and he stands before Pharaoh. What's Pharaoh's answer to let my people go? Say it real loud. No, these people are my slaves. These people build my pyramids. They harvest my food. They do what I need them to do. They are a commodity to me. I own them. You will not take them. Then God starts to reveal himself even more to Moses. Through the ten what? Place. Flies. Locusts. Boils. The first son dies. All of these things. God is revealing himself. And get this, every plague, God was showing his power over and above the Egyptian gods. You may not know this, but when God decided to kill the firstborn son, the firstborn son of Pharaoh, the firstborn son of Pharaoh was the human earthly representation of the moon god, Sin. When God decided to kill the firstborn son, he was saying that I have power over your gods. God was revealing himself to Moses, to the children of Israel, and to the Egyptians. And in the midst of that, finally, Moses gets to go across and out of Egypt. And then he stands at the Red Sea. What happens in the Red Sea? Y'all are smart, tell me. He parts what? They walk on on what? Dry ground. Take a sea, split it in two, and oh, by the way, I'm going to dry it off for you. Pharaoh and his army, they chase him, and what happened? They close the water in. God revealing himself to Moses again. Moses goes on top of the mountain and meets with God. And in the midst of that, look at Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. It says, then Moses said, he's speaking with God, I pray you, show me your glory. Everything that has already been done was God revealing himself to Moses. And still Moses wanted more. He said, even in the midst of all that I've already seen, God, show me your glory. He wanted a clearer picture of God so that he could do what God had called him to do. Students, I wholeheartedly believe when you begin to have a clear picture of who God is, you will be able to accomplish what he's called you to accomplish. You will be able to answer the call to missions. You'll be able to answer the call to purity. You'll be able to answer the call to being a good friend. You'll be able to answer the call of forgiveness. When you get a more clear picture of who God is. What I love about this is He says, I pray you, Lord, show me your glory, and God answers his prayers. 
The first thing that I want you to understand tonight, first truth, is that you need to know that God reveals his glory. And God reveals his glory to you and to me today just like he revealed his glory to Moses. God reveals his glory through creation. Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. God reveals himself through his creation. You are created. This earth was created, and all of it points us to him. When you see the intricate workings of nature, you are seeing the handiwork of God. You need to understand that God reveals himself through creation. Secondly, you need to see that God reveals himself through his word. And when I say word, I'm talking about the scriptures that we believe is completely and utterly true, without error. That when you read the word of the Bible, you are reading the very words of God and he speaks to you through that. And in this encounter that we're reading with Moses, God actually verbally speaks to Moses. Look at verse 5. It says, Then the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him, and he called upon the name of the Lord. Moses called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin, yet he will by no means allow the guilty to go unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and the fourth generations." God is proclaiming to Moses, this is who I am. I am kind. I am compassionate. I give forgiveness to those, to thousands. But I will by no means allow the guilty to go unpunished. You see the wonderful grace of God and you see the justice of God coming together. That is the God that we serve. So what we see through God's word is who he is. And that doesn't make sense to us. Because we say that we love somebody, but do you love them like God loves them? How many of you have a best friend? You love them, right? You love them, right? Thank you, Ben. I appreciate that. Yeah, we love them. But I guarantee you if that best friend does something that hurts you, you will turn your back on them and you won't love them anymore. Has that ever happened in your life? Do you want me to tell you why? Because the kind of love that you love with is not God's love. You know why? Because you're not God. Because God's love is an unconditional love. Listen, God's love is an unconditional love. That says no matter, no matter what Cade does to me, no matter what he does to me, I'm going to love him no matter what. And some of you know Cade, he's hard to love at times. But he's going to love me no matter what. I'm going to love him no matter what he does to me. That's God's kind of love. Here's the thing. 
Have you thought about that kind of love? Because that's the kind of love that God loves you with. Listen, students. I want you, I want to, I want you all to understand this. Because some of you have a very low view of God. That you don't understand that no matter what you do, no matter what you do, God loves you. It is an unconditional and unfailing and unwavering kind of love. But you think that every time you sin, God hates you. You have a low view of God. That's not God's kind of love. This talks about being compassionate and gracious. That is an understanding God. Do you hear me? But you don't look at God that way. You look at God in this way. Oh, you know what? I sinned. And then all of a sudden, God's going to get me. Something bad happens in my life. I get a flat tire. My, my boyfriend breaks up with me. My girlfriend breaks up with me. God must do that because I made God mad. That's a low view of God. But when God starts to reveal himself to you and you start to experience God's love, you will be so overwhelmed it will make you want to give his love back. So maybe, maybe the reason you don't love with unconditional love is because you don't understand the unconditional love that the Lord has for you. That's a tough kind of love to love with. That when somebody turns their back on you, hurts you, gossips about you, talks bad about you, that you're still going to love them. But that's the kind of love God loves us with. God loves us with a forgiving kind of love. He, he lists out. Unpun he says uh, in verse, seven, uh, verse eight, 6, Slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for, uh, for, for thousands and forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Iniquity, transgression, and sin, they're all against God. Some of them unintentional, some of them intentional. But yet God forgives all of them. I love how we see that God's forgiveness spans all sins. So that means... That when we look into the mirror of God's word and we see this type of forgiveness, it reveals God to us so that we in turn can forgive with that kind of love. You want to know who God is? Look in verses 6 and 7. He is holy. Verse 7 says that he will by no means allow the guilty to go unpunished. And See, that seems crazy, right? Because I just told you that God loves you and wants to forgive you. But he is a holy God and he has to be holy. And the only way a holy God can be holy is if he is a righteous judge and a good judge and he judges sin. And he has judged sin. He has. He judged sin on the cross of Jesus Christ. And we see that as the third way that God has revealed himself to us. He has revealed himself to us through his son. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, John chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 1 and then 14. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Underline those verses, John 1, 1 and John 1, 14. 
In the beginning was the Word. The Word there is another name for Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And then Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, Jesus' glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. When we look at Jesus as revealed to us through Scripture, we see who God is. We see his glory. Did Jesus love everyone? Yes or no? Did Jesus have power over creation? Yes or no? Did he have power to forgive sin? Yes or no? We see God through Jesus in the words of the New Testament. You want to have a clear understanding of who God is and God's love? Look at the Gospels. Jesus is the man who looks at the woman who's caught in adultery. And does not judge her, but says, go and sin no more. Jesus is the one who takes blind Bartimaeus and touches him and heals him. Because he has power over sight, but yet reminds him not to sin. This Jesus reveals us, reveals God to us so that we can better see who God was, is. So that when we think about our why, why do we do what we do? Why do we live the way that we live? We see it through God, we see God through his son. And then we see God through his redeemed humanity. I don't want you to answer this question out loud. I want you to think about it in your heart. Do you have a relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with God? Here's the deal. If you're here today... And you would say, Ben, I stand firm on my faith. I know without a shadow of a doubt that I have a relationship with God. That means that I have repented of my sins. I've turned from my sins, those things that I've done that are an offense to God, and I've turned to Jesus. I've repented of my sins. I've believed. I believe that Jesus Christ took my penalty, my punishment. I believe that when he died on the cross and that he was buried and that he rose again, that he paid my penalty along with everybody else's. And that you've received him as your Lord and Savior. You would say that, Ben, I am redeemed humanity. You are saved. Then people, then you reveal God to others. Well, how do you get that, Ben? Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It's going to be on the screens. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You've been saved by grace. It's not a gift. Not of, it's a gift of God, not of works, so that you can't boast in your own works. He says, for we are whose workmanship? God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Or good works. So when you live the way that you believe, that the Bible says that we should live, you are doing that in such a way that when people see you, they see God. Students, is the life that you're living, is the life that you're living a good representation of the God you serve? Do people 
when they watch you at school, when they watch you at work, when they watch you at your home, do they see God for who he is? Or do they see a poor representation of who God is? God reveals himself through creation, through his word, through his son, and through redeemed humanity. As we reveal and we see God revealed to us through these ways, it leads us to be more engaged and it leads us to a stronger why. When I look at scripture and I see God for who he is, I want to be more like him. I want to be more for, not because I'm trying to earn God's love, but because of how much he loves me. So when you are living your life, I believe that you can grow into a stronger Christian the more that you lean into learning about who God is. Moses did great things. But some of his hardest times were getting ready to come leading the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. And he wanted more of God before he stepped into what he was about to do. So God reveals his glory. And then secondly, we need to see that God demands, God's glory demands a response. And I believe that first response is this, a response of worship. Verse 8 says, Moses made haste to bow low towards the earth and worship. When Moses saw God for who he is and heard the voice of God, he was not trying to check it out. His immediate response was to bow low and worship God. When is the last time you truly worshiped God? Where everything else faded away and it was just you and him. Maybe it's been a while since you've really worshipped. It is hard to come into this place and sit with your peers and to know all of your friends and just to be alone with God. But God has revealed himself in such a way that should we not be willing for a moment just to give him a piece of who we are and worship him? Moses' first response was worship. When Peter was in the boat and he brought in this great catch, his first response was worship. He bowed down and said, I am a sinner. When Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord in the temple, his first response was to bow down and say, I'm a sinner and worship. When is the last time when you've seen God in such a way that your first response was, is to bow down and worship God? Our first response is worship. And I think for the believer, the second response is a response of service. Verse 9 says, He said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though this people are so obstinate and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your own position. Moses was preparing to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, and he did not want to take one step without God. 
He wanted to serve God, but he did not want to serve without God in his midst. We are called to service. We are called to service. Now, what does that mean for us, students? And I don't know. I don't walk in your shoes. I'm, I'm 43. I am far from high school. I'm not even going to pretend I know what you're walking through. But I know it's tough. Look at your piece of paper that I gave you that has the circles of influence. I want you to do this for me. I want you to write down seven people that are in your circles of influence. This is not your, your list of projects. These are people that you want to reach with the gospel or disciple or anything like this. These are just seven people that are in your circles of influence. Please, bear with me, work with me, get out a pen, get out a paper, the paper, and write down these seven people. Down right now. 30 seconds, go. You've got seven friends. If you, need, if you don't have seven friends, I'll be one of them. Put my name down. Yeah, Steve will too. All right, 30 seconds are up. Everybody got their seven names? <laughs> Two more. All right. Some of y'all are really struggling to get up to seven. All right, if you, can't, if you don't have seven, it's okay. Five's fine. Some people love, love little. It's okay. <laughs> All right, listen up. These individuals that you have written down, are people that are within your circle of influence. Whether you believe it or not, as a high school student in 2024, you have influence. All right, now look at those names. Take an inventory of those names. Is there anybody on that list that you do not know whether or not they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Is there anybody on that list that you know they go to church week in and week out, but you've never asked them about their salvation? Is there anybody on that list that you know has a relationship with the Lord, but maybe needs to be helped along to grow in their relationship with the Lord? These are people that the Lord has uniquely placed in your life. Now listen, as missions pastor, yes, I want you to serve on Bebulos, Memphis. I want you to go to Peru. I want you to do all the things. I would wholeheartedly believe, I wholeheartedly want every single one of you when you get into college to give the Lord every summer that you have and to give the Lord the first two years out of college to serve somewhere on the mission field. That's what I want for you. But if you are not investing in your, in your circle of influence right now, what good does it do what you do in Peru or in some other foreign country? How do you influence these people? Do you influence them with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or do they even not, they don't, is there somebody on this list that doesn't even know that you have a relationship with Jesus? Jesus. 
What if you're here and you would say, Ben, I have not really stepped into a real relationship with Jesus. Maybe tonight is your night of salvation. See, look at that piece of paper again. Every one of those circles has three circles or three arrows coming out of it. Let's see. Barrett, give me a name on your list. Sorry, I know your name. I apologize. Cade? Oh, great. (laughs) All right. All right. So let's say there's some good way that Barrett can make an influence in Cade's life. All right. Cade has three arrows that he has influence on. Then every person that Cade has influence on has arrows that they have influence on. Has arrows that they have influence on. So by Barrett faithfully pouring into Cade, he's faithfully pouring into all of those circles of influence on down the road. That's how the gospel multiplies. When you go to the, back to the New Testament, how many apostles were there? How many disciples were there? Twelve. And we are sitting here today, 2,000 years later, because they faithfully invested not in Ethiopia, but in their circles of influence. And then that gospel somehow, because they were willing to invest in their circles of influence, made it to Ethiopia and then made it to the United States and made it to 2000 Appling Road where you heard the gospel and you responded. And if we're not careful, the gospel stops with us. And students... Some of you here today need to begin to understand what your why. Some of you have people on your list that you know are lost. That you know that if they were to die today, they would step into eternity in a Christless hell. And you've done nothing to share the truth that you have. Nothing. Guys, Whether you believe it or not, high school students die every day. Tragedies happen every day. And I've probably told you all this before, but I'll tell it again. There's a guy that I know, Alan Woody was his name. Went to school with him, eighth grade, on through high school. And I get this call. Alan has a heart attack at 21 years old and dies just like that. A heart attack at 21? That doesn't happen. It shouldn't happen. And do you know what I went to bed that night thinking? I never shared the gospel with him. I had this wonderful gift And I kept it to myself. Students, don't waste the gift that you've been given. When you look at who God is, as he reveals himself through creation, as he reveals himself through his word, through his son, and through redeemed humanity, do not waste this gift that you have been given Because you may have an Allen in your life.
that steps into eternity tomorrow. And you'll regret never sharing the wonderful gift that you have.